Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, howdy. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at the Southwood campus, and I am so excited to be with you here on this brisk morning in February. How y'all feeling? February 11th, the countdown for Single Awareness Day. Um, we're, we're here, and, uh, but I'm glad that you're here. We are going to talk about relationships, in particular friendships, this morning. So you ready for that? I hope you're ready because it's going to be fun. Hey, we're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18 and 23. And you, if you were here last week, you're going to say to yourself, Kevin, we treaded that ground last week. But here's the cool part about the Bible. There's always a little more to dig. And so I want to focus in on one key moment in the life of David. And it's this, his friendship with Jonathan. So if you have a Bible, yeah, okay. First Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse one. And then I'm going to read us a little bit from first Samuel chapter 23. So starting first Samuel chapter 18, starting verse one says this. Now, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Now, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, looking at verse 15. This is later on in the, in the story. David fe- fell out of favor with Saul, and, and he's on the run, and, and says this, starting verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. Now David was in the wilderness of Ziph and Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you so much that your word is so practical in our lives. That we watch two men who, who deeply cared for one another who deeply loved one another. And they were two men that didn't merely fight alongside one another. They were men that fought for one another. And Lord, I pray that as we look at deep friendship this morning, that we would be people that have men and women that we don't just fight alongside, but we fight for. That there would be deep, powerful friendships built within this community that the world would look at and say, that's what I want. I want people alongside me that, are, that would stand with me and would lay down their life alongside me because that's what you want, Jesus. You are the greatest friend we can have. And so, Lord, I pray that as we talk about deep friendship, we would know that it begins with a deep relationship with you and that you would give us wisdom that we might be the type of friends that you would want us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, all you have to do is look in pop culture and you will see that there is a desperate need and a desperate desire to have deep friendships. And unfortunately, all my examples will not work this morning because this is up. So I'm going to look at the sound people. Are we are? Uh, oh, we're, we're up. Okay, perfect. Well, at some point in the future this morning, maybe I will show you some examples, but, but simply this. We have seen great friendships all throughout pop culture, and I'll just run them off for you. You cannot see the gifs of it. I'm so sorry. I worked very hard this week for you, but I'll just run through them real quick. We've got Rory and Lane from the Gilmore Girls, right? We've got LeBron and D. Wade, right? You see those men in the championships. You've got Blair and Serena from Gossip Girl. You, yeah, you do. You've got Batman and Robin, people, okay? You've got Gabriella and Taylor from High School Musical. Okay, oh, yeah. you're like, oh, now you're speaking my, to my heart, Kevin. Okay. You've got uh, Holmes and Watson from Sherlock, right? Yeah, you do. You've got Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, great friends. You got Key and Peel. Any Key and Peel fans? Okay. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> so good. Uh, and, th- and, then, and then the real friendships. Uh, we got SpongeBob and Patrick. Um, we got Michael and Dwight from The Office. Yeah, you do. Uh, we also have Woody and Buzz. Okay, who? Okay, they even got a song that goes with it. You got a friend in me, right? You've got, of course, and I didn't realize this has become popular once again. I know it's circled back around 20 years later. Um, but apparently Netflix, we can thank for all of this, introducing us into New York friendships with a TV show. Friends, that's right. You, well, well played. Yeah, you do. Stranger Things, you've got a group of like junior high guys, like all working it together. And then the most awkward friendship among friendships that we've seen in history, and uh, maybe some of you, you've never seen the movie, that's fine, but you know this moment, um, is between Frodo and Sam, right? Yes. The most awkward male bonding that you'll ever see, like, like photo, Sam, photo, Sam, you know, it's just for, you know, 38 hours of movies, right? And so one of those epic friendships, and you look at all of those as you watch and see those pop culture references, you see those movies that we've seen, we've grown up with those people, you go, you go I want a friend like that, right? I want a friend that would stick with me through thick and thin. I want a friend that knows me and loves me and can encourage me that will be my Robin to my Batman-ness, right? Will be my whatever to my whatever. Like you want that little person that will run with you through life. That desire for friendship runs deep within every one of us. But what's interesting in culture today is it is becoming more and more challenging to get meaningful friendships, to find meaningful friendships. I was reading an article um, about uh, a person in Japan, um, and this is crazy. The, the title of the article is this, How to Hire Fake Friends and Family. The subtitle is this, In Japan, you can pay an actor to impersonate your relative, spouse, coworker, or any kind of acquaintance. The founder of this company writes this, Money may not be able to buy love, but here in Japan, it can certainly buy the appearance of love. As this dapper Ishii Yuchi insists, it's everything. As a man whose business involves becoming other people, Yuchi would know. The handsome, charming 36-year-old on call will be your best friend, your husband, your father, or even a mourner at your funeral. Right? You can hire him for all of these activities. His eight-year-old company, called Family Romance, provides professional actors to fill any role in the personal lives of the clients. With a staff of over 800 actors ranging in age from infants to elderly, the organization prides itself on being able to provide the surrogate for your utmost need. 
Like literally, you can buy a friend. <laughs> you can go to this place and you're like, I'm feeling lonely. I need one of 800 actors to impersonate what would be my best friend. So you put in the description and you request the friend. I think it's about 200 bucks for four hours. Totally worth it for that companion of your life. And you're like, Kevin, that's insane. I would never do that. Well, that's fine. But as soon as you walk into college, I don't know if you've noticed this, especially your freshman year, there tends to be um, this weird moment when you're walking into a new place and some psychologists call it dislocation. I know who I am, and then I step into this new environment, and I'm removed from all of my past relationships, my parents, my friends, my, some of my closest networks, and that movement can actually be dislocating. One survey from the Jordan uh, Portico Foundation said this, 54% of college students said that they had a hard time making friends or feeling like they belonged, 54%. 65% of students reported usually keeping their feelings about the difficulties in college to themselves. So what does that mean? Over half the people around you are finding it difficult to connect. And 65% of you, if if you're struggling, you're certainly not going to tell anyone about it. You just feel like you can't communicate that with anyone else. One columnist in the New York Times, a guy named Frank Bruni, he's a psychologist, and he wrote this. In the sea of people, people find themselves adrift. The technology that keeps them connected to parents and high school friends only reminds them of their physical separation from just about everyone they know best. This estrangement can be the gateway to binge drinking and other self-destructive behavior, and it's as likely to derail their ambitions as almost anything else. One college student named Brett, he says, I spent the first night, and I, and I, I resonate with this, he, he spent the first night of college just laying in his bed, just curled up there going, I'm alone. I remember I felt that my first night in college, there's that great freedom of like, I'm here. I get to do everything I want to do in life. I, can, I have no rules, no boundaries. It's going to be awesome. And I remember laying there in the night on my first dorm room going, oh, it's just me. It's just me. There was an, a girl uh, in this article, and she said, I, I felt the same way. I felt, I felt at 19 years old as a college sophomore at UCLA, I, I felt like I didn't know anyone. And there's one kid, it was a much worse description. Uh, he was at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Um, one night, he just wanted to get some friends. He just wanted to connect with some people. And so he went on this crazy night of binge drinking, and he remembers laying on a picnic bench by himself, throwing up. And he writes this, People walked past me, and I felt so isolated. There I was alone with all of these people around me. You ever felt that way? You felt like in the sea of people flooding, I'm just alone and no one is willing to just look or reach out to me. According to the American College Health Association, more than 60% of college students say, I, I, feel, I feel lonely. 30% of those said within the past week. And so there's this tendency, even in the midst of the sea of people and, at college that you face every single week, There can be a tendency to feel lonely, and God knows this. Like, God knows that you're not meant to be alone. In fact, the first thing that went wrong in the Bible, God addressed at the very, very beginning, before even sin entered the world. You know what God said? He made all the animals. He made all the plants. He made everything beautiful and perfect. And in the midst of perfection, he put a single man, Adam. And he looks at that and goes, oh, no. 
a single dude alone in this vastness, and he says there's one thing not good. The trees are good. The animals are good. Everything is good. There's one thing not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And if you know any single guys in an apartment alone, you can attest. It is not good for this man to be alone. And you feel that. It is not good for us to be alone. And he gave him someone to be with him. And it's not merely a sexual relationship. It's companionship. It's someone that that can be there with you. They can live life together with you. And God says, there's a solution to the problem of loneliness. And here's what it is. We need friends. We all need friends. The solution to the loneliness that comes, I can watch myself on the screen, cool, (laughs) is friendship. And the real question, you're like, okay, Kevin, I, I agree. I need friends. But the real question is this. How do I develop deep friendships? How do I develop deep and lasting, life-fulfilling, this is going to drive me crazy, friendships? Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Sorry, people in the back, you got to deal with that all the time. All right. And that's what we see in this relationship with Dave and Jonathan. One of the best friendships you'll ever see is between these two men. In fact, this friendship has been referenced all throughout literature, all throughout history, as one of the best friendships that we've really ever seen in culture. It's, it's two men that have a deep connection, and, and I want to I walk through their life, and I want to ask you this question. Can you develop those type of friendships? Can we be people that develop this type of deep friendship? And I want to show you how they got there, and maybe we can learn how we also can get there. And we see the start of their friendship in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it says this. It's it's right after one of the most epic moments in David's life. It's right after he killed Goliath. He slays Goliath. He's got a couple of conversations that he has with people. And then as he's walking off from that moment, he runs into Jonathan. And Jonathan grabs him, pulls him over, and says this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What do we see there? The first piece you need in developing meaningful friendship is this, a common destination. That you literally have a common destination. There's a direction, there's a drive. You are headed. The first piece you need in developing meaningful friendship is to see that this person is going the direction you want to go. And that's what we see. David has just slain the giant, and then Jonathan watches him just defeat the most vicious enemy that their nation had seen up to that point and says, my spirit is bound to your spirit. The closest parallel we see to this idea of of a soul being bound to another one is is between Jacob and his son, Benjamin. We see the same description in Genesis 44, which says Jacob's soul was bound to his son, Benjamin's. So what does it mean to have a soul bound? Why, Why were they bound together? Well, it's because of this. Because Jonathan saw in David the right kind of crazy. See, Jonathan was a a warrior. He was a guy that wanted to go into the fight. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we see him launch into an insane fight. The Philistines have attacked an area, and he grabs his little squire, his little person with the shield, little shield bearer, and says, come with me. We're going to go attack some Philistines. And they go up there, and the Philistines are up high on a cliff. And he says, he says, look, if they tell us, wait, we're going to come down to you, we'll know that God hasn't given us this fight to engage in. But if they say, come up to us, 
Like if the battle gets harder because we're going uphill, we know that God's given him into our hand. He looks at his little squire and goes, you ready to attack some people? The squire's like, I, I guess. And John's like, let's do it, right? And so they start going there and they're all like, come up to us. And they're like, perfect. So they're like scaling a cliff, fighting, and they won. Like an impossible victory, an uphill battle. You don't win that type of battle. And Jonathan comes down victorious and he's like, that's what I'm talking about. And then he sees David, a scrawny little teenager with a sling and a stone, take down the enemy and goes, that's what I'm talking about. That's the right kind of crazy. That man inspires me to do greater things. When I watch his faithfulness to God, I look at my life and go, that's what I want. I want someone that chases the cause of God, even in the midst of crisis, even if it's difficult. And that's why his soul was knit to him. And this is so crucial. Do your friends inspire you to chase God at a higher level? Are your friends chasing the Lord? And are they inspiring you to chase God at a higher level? And Kevin, why are you? It's not that big of a deal. I mean, I just got friends and we like to hang out. I just got friends and we go to movies together. I got friends so we can watch Stranger Things and episodes of Friends and episodes of Office. Like, that's all I'm really after. But here's what you may not realize your friends will determine your future. Your friends will shape what you think is normal. According to research, they show that your weight, your financial situation, and your aspirations are all shaped by who's around you. Your weight, how much you weigh. This is very interesting. In a study done by the American Journal of Public Health, they saw that the average weight that most people carry and increase in, like just physical weight, increases by the nature of the people around them. Your weight will be affected by the people around you. But not only that, your risks. Like whether or not you feel like taking financial risk. In a Forbes article, they looked at the, the uh, issue of co- consumer risk-taking. What they found is this. This is interesting. If people, um, <laughs> if people are stressed or feeling alone, they're more likely to take risky financial risks. If they're feeling isolated or they're feeling alone, they're more likely to make bad decisions when it comes to risks. So your weight, that's your waistline, your risk-taking ability. And I've seen this in me. Some of the dumbest decisions I've made have everything to do with bad risks I've taken because of stupid peer pressure, dumb peer pressure. So remember when I first got a job here at Grace, I was doing junior high ministry eons ago. I was 24 years old. It was my first event to go to. And there was a seventh grade boy. We were doing a pool party at his house. And he goes, bet you won't eat a habanero pepper. Now, I never heard of a habanero pepper at that time. Little kid named Ron Moretz, just a total little punk, just total. And, and he's like, bet you won't do it. I'm like, I do not need to prove myself to you, 12-year-old boy. I do not need to do this. And he goes, it's because you're weak. <laughs> I'm like, I am not giving in to a 12-year-old's peer pressure. This is absurd. Like, I'm not giving in to this. He's like... You're just so weak. And literally, it was like week two of me moving here. And I'm like, fine, give me the pepper. And I grab the pepper. I eat the pepper. I swallow the pepper. And it took a little while, like, I don't know, 30 seconds. And then there was this fire 
that emanated all down my throat and all out my lips. For the next half hour, I'm there with a piece of ice just going, uh, icing my tongue and my lips. And I'm like, I, I hate junior high guys. Like, what am I doing? You know? And, we, and we've done that. Like, we've all made bad decisions based on the influences of the people around us. We've done risk. And I'll tell you what, who you surround yourself with is extremely important. Do they inspire you toward greater things, or do they just pull you down? One uh, speaker, Jim Rohn, writes this. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You're like, well, Kevin, I don't necessarily believe that. Well, Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says this. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. That's what Proverbs says. Who you surround yourself with, you'll learn their ways, and you'll start adopting the things that they're doing, and you'll find yourself ensnared, literally like a trap. Like you get caught up in the things that they're chasing. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and you'll become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. If you surround yourself with fools, you will make foolish decisions. Who you surround yourself with is crucially important. First Corinthians 15 says it this way, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who you surround yourself with will shape you. The people that speak into your life that you surround yourself with will shape your future. So I'm asking you, your friends, do they inspire you to chase God more deeply or do they pull you away? Do they inspire you to think about what's possible with what God is doing in the world or do they just not really lead you in that direction? For Jonathan, he sees David. And that man did something that was impossible because of his faith in God. And you know what Jonathan said? I'm linking up with that guy. I'm going to walk with him because I know if I surround myself with that young man, I will be better. So you first look for a common destination. But secondly, he looks for deep commitment. Deep friendship requires deep commitment. First Samuel chapter 18, verses 3 and 4 says it this way. Then Jonathan, at this moment, after he saw David and was knit to him, he says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his belt. And I, 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 I'm so interested when I'm reading this. I'm like, that guy's amazing. I just got to give him something. You know, he just like starts grabbing stuff off of him and handing it over. I'm like, what does that mean? What does it represent? Well, the robe was his symbol of authority. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm giving my authority to you. And his weapons were his symbol of allegiance. I'm giving you, literally, I'm saying I'm going to leverage my authority for you. And I'm showing that my weapons are at your disposal. My reputation and my resources are yours. Now, what does that mean? I don't think you need to take off all your clothes to show your commitment to someone. In fact, you shouldn't. Don't do that at all. But what he says is, is I want to show this young man how committed I am to him. So I'm going to give him my authority, and I'm going to give him my allegiance. I'm going to give him my reputation, and I'm going to give him my resources. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's the foundation of a good friendship. A deep commitment 
to say, what I have is at your disposal. What's mine is yours. I was listening to a speaker talk about relationships, and, and he was talking about the context of marriage, but it applies beyond that. And he asked this question. How do you know if a marriage is going to last? How do you know if a marriage is going to work? He says, what percentage does each person need to give for this relationship to last? And so he asked the audience, he says, what, what do you think, like 50-50? Like if each person has to give half for this relationship to last? And like some people in the room said, oh yeah, 50-50. He goes, well, someone piped up, well, no, I think 60-40. I think someone's always going to give a little bit more. So maybe it's 60-40. One person gives a little bit more. And then someone else said, no, 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 it's like 90-10. There's one person that's just got to drag the relationship all the way through. And that's, so it's 90-10, right? And he says at the end of it, he goes, actually, it's 100 to zero. If you really want a marriage relationship to last, it's you give 100%, 100% of the time, expecting nothing in return. Gosh, I feel like there's a Bible verse about that. Right? You give your best, expect nothing in return, and great will be your reward in heaven. Oh, my gosh. And that's kind of what Jesus did. I don't know if you noticed, um, right? See, Jesus lived the life we could not live in perfect obedience to God. I mean, he was the best friend. And then he gave everything for us, expecting nothing in return. In fact, when he was on the cross, it says that he died for those cursing him. And will you know what he said at that moment? He says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And at one moment, Peter's walking over and goes, okay, if my brother sins against me, like how many times should I forgive him? Like, what is my obligation to this relationship? Like, should I forgive him like seven times? And Jesus responds to him, 77 times. The point is not that you tally up. Well, this was the 76th time. You got one more shot, right? No, it wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point is this. You forgive them and you keep forgiving. You put yourself out there and you keep putting yourself out there. And you know what will happen in that moment? When you commit yourself to them, you will find that they deeply, deeply need you. They need you. And so the first step is, will you commit to this friendship Will you leverage your authority and your allegiance, your reputation and your resources for this relationship? And then the second piece in this commitment is, will you defend them? When things don't go well in their life, will you step in and defend them? And that's exactly what Jonathan does. See, soon Saul is going to get jealous of David. And he's going to get a plan in chapter 19 to kill him. And Jonathan steps in in that moment and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. David has been on your side, Saul. David has been for you. He supported you. Don't kill him. And then Saul backs off on that. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Saul gets enraged again. And he says, I'm going to kill that guy. And David says to Jonathan, you've got to step in for me. And Jonathan says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to my dad. You go and I'll cover for you. I'll cover for you. And he says, go outside. He tells his dad that David went one direction. David actually went another direction. And he literally saved David's life. And let me tell you on this. Jonathan covered for David because David was innocent. What does it mean to have a friend that that defends another friend? It means this. You speak the truth in love. And it doesn't mean you cover up sin. You got to speak the truth in love. But it does mean that you protect their reputation. It does mean that you defend them amongst the onslaught of other people. It doesn't mean you cover their sin. Like you were, they're all getting drunk and crazy and you're like, well, I just won't tell anyone. Like that's, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, I won't soil their reputation. I will stand with them. 
and I will defend them, and I will fight alongside them. And that's exactly what Jonathan did for David. He protected him. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions will come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jonathan was that kind of friend. I'm going to defend David even at the cost of my own life because I know the quality of this person and I'm going to leverage my life for them. So there's the common direction. Where are they leading? There's deep commitment that we have to have in order to have a meaningful friendship. But the third piece we see comes in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and it's this. Great friends strengthen us. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15 says it this way. Now David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened him. See, David at this time is, is literally on, on, on running from a, a raged king. And he's going from destination to destination. He's, he doesn't have a home to live in. He's lost everything in his life. And at that moment, Saul hears that David is hiding in this area. And so Jonathan does something amazing. He gets up and he goes to them. He gets up and he travels at the risk of his life. And it says he does it for a reason. He wants to strengthen his hand in God. One commentator, Matthew Henry, writes this of this moment. True friendship will not shrink from danger, but can easily venture, will not shrink from condensation, but can easily stoop and exchange the palace for a wood and serve a friend. The very sight of Jonathan was reviving to David. But besides this, he said to them, this whole reason for coming to him was just to encourage him. The first thing that we do to strengthen someone is this. You go to them. And it'll be difficult. It'll be inconvenient. He had got up and he traveled to him to strengthen his hand in the Lord for no other reason, just to encourage him. Proverbs 17, 17 says it this way. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for times of adversity. Galatians 6, 2 says it this way. Bear one another, another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever done that for someone? someone you know is struggling, someone you know is hurting, and you go to them and you say, how can I encourage you? How can I just sit with you? And you just go to, to where they are. I remember um, when my first daughter was born, um, there were some complications in the, uh, in the delivery. And so I get a phone call while I'm here at work, and, and I'm like, okay, I've got to go right now. And we run over to the med, College Station Med, and... And I'm there, and, and it was supposed to be a routine appointment, um, but they said, no, we, there's some growth restriction going on with your child. We need, to, we need to get this baby out now. And I said, I, I got to go. And I go over there as I'm, as I'm sitting there in the waiting room waiting for the baby to be delivered. I get all these texts. And there's a couple pastors here at Grace, good friends of mine, that came and just sat with me. That's a good friend. When you're struggling, I'm going to be there with you. It may be tough. 
It ended up being fine. Um, they delivered the baby. We're back there. They delivered the baby just to finish the story. Um, they delivered the baby. She was absolutely fine. And they put her in like this little carrying thing and start wheeling her out um, into the normal area. And the nurse didn't realize that I was a wreck and panic stricken. Like, is the baby healthy? And they're like, come this way, daddy. I'm like, is the baby okay? They're like, press that button. I'm like, button? Why are you pressing a button? Like, how was the child? They're like, press the button. I'm like, press the button, and like music comes on. They're like, congratulations, you're a daddy. And I'm like, what is wrong with the child? (sighs) She was fine. They didn't realize it. But I had all those friends around me saying, I will be with you in a tough time. Do Do they go to you? Do you go to them? And do you remind them of what's true? That's what Jonathan did. He says in verse 17, you will be king. Saul knows this, and I'm going to be beside you. Like, you're going to be king, David. Do you have good friends that remind you of what's true? That stand beside you, and you're like, I feel defeated, I feel deflated, no one loves me. And they look, look at you in the eye, and you're like, I like you. You're great. Those are lies and stupidness. You're good in the eyes of God. Do you have friends that will do that to you? They'll walk up to your face like, you're great. You may have sinned, but God loves you. And he has a plan for you. And so you may make a mistake, but that's not the end of it, right? You're like, this is a little uncomfortable, Kevin. Fine. You, God loves you. He cares for you. And he'll remind you of what's true, that Jesus gave his life for you because he loves you so much. And you've got a future and a hope in Christ. You got a friend like that? It's Jonathan. And then the third thing he does is he recommits to the friendship in verse 18. They covenant again together. Friendships need that. Friendships need that. Friendships need you to stand beside them and say, you know what, I'm still your friend. And I'm still beside you. And I'll be with you. Like, that seems so needy, Kevin. Yeah, we need it. We all need that. You know, it's interesting, I was, I was reading another journal article and it was talking about, it was a guy from Jamil Zaki, a Stanford University professor, and he was talking about students, and what they found was really interesting is that people are drawn to the most attractive, winsome, like out there people. Like people are naturally drawn to those people. But then they asked a second question: Who do you go share your problems with? Who do you go talk to? You know what they discovered? People with the best empathy. People with high levels of empathy are the ones that people will go to and really talk with. I experienced this. There was a guy. Um, kind of in my college group, he was a guy named Cameron. And one day, Cameron goes, hey, have you heard about the struggles that this person's having? I'm like, I'm like, no. They're like, oh yeah, they're thinking about getting engaged, like all this stuff. I'm like, they're my roommate. How do I not know these problems? Like, how do I not know this? And, and everyone, everything went through Cameron. So I would just go to Cameron, like, Cameron, what's going on, man? What's, what's happening? But Cameron was phenomenal at showing people empathy, being there, being willing to listen, being willing to engage. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I was like, I got to learn this lesson from Cameron. See, the truth is this. What, what we need are people that love us too much to leave us as we are. That will strengthen our hand in God. That will listen to us. That will come to us and help us get stronger. That will strengthen our hand in the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a video um, on weightlifting. Because I'm trying to get better. And uh, it's not working. But I'm trying, okay? 
<laughs> I got a friend right here. He's going to like, I'll help you out, Kevin. All right, cool. Um, so I'm watching this video and it's, it's, you know, this YouTube personality and he's like lifting all these weights and, and he goes to his gym to show you how to lift, right? And, and he goes and, and he goes, okay, my buddy's going to do it first and then I'm going to do it afterward. And so his buddy's just like token, like lift guy. And then he comes in and it's all about him. And so he's doing his lift, and then I listen to his buddy. They're both, like, Australian or something. And I listen to his buddy talk to him. He goes, and, and his friend, I'm like, I want that friend. Because as he's lifting the weights, his buddy goes, all right now, all right, easy, easy. Oh, that's good. And I like, like this deep, like, intense encouragement the whole time. And like, easy, boom. And he goes, all right, that's good, that's good. And he gets in, he does his lifts. And then the other guy, the main video guy, lays down. And he goes, all right, this one's going to be easy, boy. This one's going to be easy. And he's like cheering on the personality profile of this deal. I'm like, I don't care about you. Your buddy is awesome. If I had him on my team, I would look like you too. Like I just need that friend. And I'm like, that's it. I mean, a guy that's just going to encourage you every lift, encourage you every step, encourage you every move. And I'm like, that's a great friend. That's Jonathan. And I thought about that. Where can I find that friend? Maybe the Japanese know what they're talking about. I need to, I need to go find a friend that will be my friend to lift. You know, like maybe I need that. And then I was like, I was like, ah, I'm asking the wrong question. How do you find that kind of friend? You know how? You be that kind of friend. If you want that level of deep friendship, you know what you do? You choose to be that kind of friend. Not just waiting to say, when is someone going to come help me? But you say, how, who can I help? When's someone going to be there with me? No, no, who, who can I be there for? So when's going to someone going to strengthen my hand in the Lord? Whose hand am I strengthening in the Lord? And that's the deep friendship that we need, that we would be that kind of friend, that we would raise those types of friends, and that everyone can encourage and love and stand side by side as friends that love the Lord, that love one another, so that all together we might accomplish the purposes of God together. We need us. You want this type of friend? Be it. So my question to you is this. What, what are your friends like? Where are their drives? Where are they going? What are you like? What are your drives? Where are you going? Have you committed to some people relationally? Not that you'd be a fair weather friend and jump from relationship to relationship, but you would commit. I'm going to be a friend here. I'm going to sink my roots in this group of friendships and really be there for them and commit myself to them. And are you going to strengthen them? You're going to step in and say, I'm going to help y'all walk with the Lord and be better together. We don't need Gilmore girls, right? We've got you. And I pray that you'd be that type of friend. And I pray that I could be that type of friend with you. And pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for this beautiful picture of friendship that we see in the life of David and Jonathan. And Lord, we know we want these types of friends. So Lord, I pray that that we might begin the steps to first come to you, Jesus. Know that you died in our place for our sins. You are the greatest friend. And that you've called us to reach out in that love to those around us that need encouragement, that need strengthening, that we could be a friend like Jonathan alongside one another to encourage, to strengthen, and to be with one another. We love you. I lift up these students to you. Help them have great discussion and help us all to be the types of friends 
you long us to be. So in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have great discussion.